0: gets our hearts and minds focused, come from busy weeks, come from a lot of different things going on in everybody's lives, and then we come in here, and we sit down, and and then that music, I think, for me, really helps me. I think of some communicators who just stand up and talk. For me, I think I need that worship music to kind of get my heart and mind really focused on the Lord, so... Let's pray together. Lord, we want to thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather together. And we thank you for um, giving people like Megan and Kyle and Dawn and others the talents to lead in music. And we thank you for the gift of music that you give to us, Lord. I'm convinced... uh, that was a gift that you gave to people so that we could lift our voices to you. We could lift our hearts to you. We're grateful for that. And Lord, you've given us minds as well, and you've given us eyes and ears. And I pray, Lord, that as we dive into your word this morning, that those hearts that you've given us to worship you would be hearts that would be changed because, because of your word. Lord, we echo the words of Jesus when, when he said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Set us apart for your holy purpose, Lord, by the authority of your word. And we give this time over to you now. We pray this Jesus in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, we got out of the bus, five other counselors and me along with 18 juvenile delinquents. (laughs) Uh, They were sent there by the court system in Detroit, Michigan. Uh, It was a choice that they had. Either they would spend some time in jail, or do this Outward Bound program that I was a counselor at, and uh, they chose the Outward Bound program And so we loaded a bus with all the supplies that we needed for 14 days in the wilderness. And we were driven from central Michigan to northern Michigan. And this big old bus, big old blue bus, was driving, by the time we got to where he dropped us off, down logging trails. So we're rocking and rolling. And finally, he just stops, opens up the door, and we pile out. And the bus takes off. And as you heard the screeching branches along the side of the bus from the trees as it scraped the side as it was driving away, I could feel the screeching hearts of those boys thinking, what just happened? (laughs) They literally had never been outside of the jungle of the city of Detroit, and now we've brought them into the center of a woods in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of northern Michigan. (laughs) Well, these boys dealt with more pain and more brokenness and more fear than most everybody in here has dealt with. But my job was that in 14 days, I was to take the three boys that were assigned to me and completely change the way they looked at life. In 14 days, my job was to help these boys as we were out in the wilderness to change the way they viewed life. To help them literally change their lifestyle. Quite an assignment. All these boys had to do was follow my leadership. But I got to tell you, these boys didn't really have a good view of adults in their life. These boys really didn't want to trust me. They weren't really looking to me for guidance by the time they got there. Matter of fact, I held zero credibility with them as far as I could actually help them in their lives. But they had no choice. The law said that this is the course that they must complete And I was given complete authority. If I were to pass them at the end of 14 days, then they could avoid going into detention again and just get away with maybe some probation. Well, it wouldn't be easy. (laughs) We'd have many hardships ahead of us. But if they followed me, they actually could change for the better. The program guaranteed it. And the program had statistics that they could prove that this actually helped these young boys between the ages of 14 and 17. Most of us here, we call ourselves Christians. Christians. And we know that Jesus is calling us to follow him. But who is Jesus? I mean, can he really be trusted? And if we follow him, does he have some sort of program that guarantees some positive outcomes? Well, we're in this new series entitled Lifestyle, and we're hitting different areas that the Bible speaks that ought to be a part of our lifestyle uh, that we would choose to live. And so today, we're going to talk about a lifestyle of following Jesus. Now, we're going to address who he is and why we should even consider following him, uh, what following him looks like. And then we're going to understand this by actually zooming in on an interaction that Jesus had with his disciples, those that were following after him. To set it up, just picture in your mind that Jesus, in the first century, is walking along with his disciples. He's about 20 miles north of the Sea of Galilee, so he's way north of his probably the northernmost part that he ever walked when he was on this earth, and he's interacting with his disciples. And in Mark chapter 8, in verse 27, if you have your Bibles, you can turn. If not, I have it up here for us. Mark chapter 8, verse 27, it says this. Jesus went out, along with his disciples, to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he questioned his disciples, saying, saying to them, Who do people say that I am? Now, that is a great question to ask. I mean, if you are going to follow somebody, you ought to know who they are, right? And so, first of all, we're going to look at to know who we are following is critical if we're going to follow Jesus. we got to know who we're following. Those boys didn't know me from anybody. They were just forced to follow me initially. They mistrusted me because they really couldn't trust anyone in their lives. But for Jesus, well, we have a biblical account of who Jesus is. We have a biblical understanding that he is God himself. And Jesus actually fulfills three different roles that he wants to fulfill in our lives as well. Three different roles or offices that I think this text lays out. First of all, when we think about who Jesus is, first of all, he is a prophet. Jesus Is a prophet everyone in jesus's time was picking up on this fact that jesus was a prophet notice what peter responds with in verse 28 or the disciples respond with they told him when he asked who do people say that i am they told him saying john the baptist and others say elijah but others one of the prophets john the baptist he was the last of the old testament prophets i don't know if you realize this but he was the last prophet before jesus started his public ministry he proclaimed the way of the Lord, he set the way of the Lord, he, he established that yes, Jesus is coming, Elijah, one of the great prophets of the Old Testament, and then they just give this general statement about one of the prophets, that prophet, 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 every single person in that day that was interacting with Jesus and had a bit of honesty in their thinking, they, they saw Jesus as the promised prophet of the Old Testament, which actually goes all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 and 18, that there would be this prophet that would come. Now, how do we know that he is a prophet? There are four ways in which we know a person is a prophet or that Jesus is a prophet. One of them was that he would speak the truth of God. Jesus is God, so he did and does speak the truth of God. Secondly, they talk of future events. And we'll even see in this scenario that Jesus often talked of future events. And right in this text, he'll talk specifically about a future event that would happen to him. Third, a prophet comes with passion and zeal. You can just tell they are speaking the words of God. Of course, Jesus, you follow his ministry, and yeah, he definitely had passion. He definitely had zeal. And the fourth way that we know that he was a prophet is prophets always had miraculous things happen at their hands to prove that they were prophets. And of course, if you read the Gospels, you see that Jesus performed many, many miracles. So if we choose to follow Jesus, we can be sure that one, will grow in understanding God's truth. We'll grow in understanding that God's truth is real, and, and if we follow him, we'll learn it. Second, we'll learn more and more about the future and about our future, that actually the Lord Jesus will give us a hope that, yes, God does have a plan for our lives. Yes, this life matters for eternity, and this eternity he will lay out for us. Third, we'll see that uh, we will grow in the passions that Jesus has, that as we follow Jesus, his passion will become our passion. That his zeal will become our zeal. And fourth, we will see Jesus do a miraculous work in our lives. We'll see that he's actually making a difference in our lives. So if I were to ask, with a show of hands, of the people in this room, let me ask you, have you experienced Jesus where, yeah, you have grown in understanding the truth of God because of him? Yeah, you could say, um, you know, I, I realize my life matters for eternity, and, and, and the Lord has revealed to me my future, uh, that I have an eternity with Him. Would you say that, yes, I think I have grown in my passion, and my zeal for the things of the Lord? And yes, Jesus has done and seems to be doing a miraculous work in my life he seems to be making a difference in my life can, can any of you raise your hand and say yeah that's been my experience yeah you see that you know why that is because you've chosen to follow Jesus the prophet he is a prophet secondly Jesus is king not only is he a prophet but he is king notice verse 29 It says, and he continued by questioning them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said to him, you are the Christ. Now, we need to realize when Peter said, you are the Christ, what was going through the mind of Peter when he made this declaration? You see, Peter was raised in a good Jewish home. Peter was a devout Jewish guy. And um, in the first century, when Rome was ruling with an iron fist, when soldiers were all around and they were making sure that they would keep the Roman peace by force, every good Jew of that day was looking forward to the Messiah to come and rescue them. They were, coming, they were looking for that Redeemer to come and set them free from the iron hand of the Roman Empire. So when Peter said, you are the Christ, he had one thing in his head. You are the Christ, he was thinking, you're the Messiah. In other words, you are the King, come, who has come. You get a clear understanding that this was the mindset of those first century Jews. You just have to go to the time when Jesus was hanging on the cross. First of all, the sign over his head, remember what it said, you, the king of the Jews? And then the religious leaders, when they were mocking Jesus when he was on the cross, notice what they said of him, in Ma- and just go back a few chapters to Mark 15 and verse 32. Mark 15, verse 32 They're mocking Jesus, he's on the cross, and they said, let this Christ, the king of Israel, now come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. This connection between Christ, the Christ, and the king. In Matthew and Luke's gospel, uh, when Pilate was questioning Jesus, remember he he asked Jesus point blank, are you the king of the Jews? And you remember how Jesus responded plainly, he says, it is as you say. In John's gospel, he answered plainly by adding, my kingdom is not of this world. And he said it again, my kingdom is not of this realm. And then you remember after his resurrection, when Jesus was just about ready to get up, uh, to ascend up into heaven, that the disciples are standing around him. And in Acts chapter 1, in verse 6, they asked Jesus, right before he's about ready to go up into heaven, he says, Lord, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? Is it at this time that you're going to have the kingdom set up here and that you're going to reign as king? The reality is there is coming a day, a glorious day in the future, when Jesus will come to this earth and he will reign physically on this earth as the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. But until then, he wants to be your king and he wants to be my king. He wants to be the master of our lives. He wants to reign over our lives. And the only way that this can happen is if we choose to follow him, if we choose to allow him to sit on the throne of our lives. Well, there's one more office that Jesus holds. He's prophet, he's king, and Jesus is priest. Priest. More specifically, the high priest. Notice what it says here in verse 30, interestingly enough. It says, and he warned them to tell no one about him. Now, this is fascinating to me. If he is the Christ, and he is, why would he tell them, well, don't tell anybody that I'm the Christ? You see, this prophet and this king was also the high priest of God the Father. And although he'd be different than any other high priest, Jesus would never sacrifice bulls and goats and lambs. No, he would sacrifice himself. For he is the perfect, spotless lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And for this to happen, Jesus had to be crucified. And so he was committed to this plan. And the last thing he needed was that his followers would promote him as king. I mean, it would cause really a rebellion against everything. And so he wanted them to keep quiet so that he could fulfill his role as priest. And so it says in the very next verse, verse 31... And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days, rise again. Definitely stated as a prophet. He knew this was coming in the future. He'd be killed. Now, God demonstrates his love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died you and me. The righteous, perfectly righteous for the unrighteous. That by the blood of the Lamb, the spotless Lamb, the blood of Jesus, shed for you and me, we could come into the presence of the Holy of Holies. Shed for you and me so that our sin would be forgiven. And Jesus did this As he fulfilled his role as priest, he loves us so much that he died for us. So let me ask you, do you want to follow him? Do you want to follow our prophet, king, and priest? If the answer to that question is yes, then we need to ask the question, what does following him look like? If we do want to follow Jesus, some of us might say, yeah, I am already Others might say, I don't think I am. Still, others think they are when they're really not. But I think Jesus lays out three facets of what it looks like to follow him. The first one is this. We have to reprogram our minds. We have to reprogram the way we think, or another way to say it is set our thoughts on God's interests. If we're going to follow him, we have to set our minds on God's interests, set our thoughts on, on what God is interested in. Look at verse 32. And he was, sitting, uh, he was stating the matter plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and seeing his disciples, by the way, I think he was seeing that his disciples were kind of buying into what Peter was saying and thinking, yeah, I mean, if you're the Christ, why would you say that you're going to be put to death? That doesn't make any sense. But then he rebuked Peter and he said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests But man's Now wait a second here. Did I just read that right? Was he calling Peter Satan? Or was Satan like in the room and and he was like speaking to Satan wherever Satan might be? Maybe. However, I think not likely. Let me explain the word Satan. Satan, the word Satan is a transliteration. In other words, it sounds the same. It's spelled out the same way that it did when it was originally said in the Hebrew language many, many centuries, millenniums ago. The Hebrew word in the Old Testament is Satan. And then in the the English, of course, we say Satan. Satan. And in the language of the New Testament, Greek, it's satana. It it all sounds the same, but I think satana is used more like an adjective than a noun. In other words, it's more descriptive because all of those, Satan, uh, uh, Satan, and satana, all mean an adversary or an opponent. An adversary or an opponent. And I think what Jesus was saying is, listen, If you are opposed to me and my plan, get behind me. In other words, if you are not going along with my plan, then you need to just get back in line and do what I'm planning to do. Make sure that this is going to happen. And by the way, if, if Jesus was talking to Satan himself in that room, no way would he tell Satan, You're just interested in man's interests. You're not interested in God's interests, you're interested in man's interests. Well, Satan has never been interested in man's interests. Matter of fact, he's opposed to man's interests. He's trying to, to, to get us to move in the wrong direction. He's a thief and a liar and a murderer. You know who's interested in man's interests? Man. We're interested in our interests. But if we're going to follow the Lord, then we must set our minds not on our interests, but on his interests. Paul puts it most clearly, I think, over in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, if you jump back there, verse 2, it says this, "...and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable." and perfect, so that you might know what God's will is. How do we do this? We renew our minds. We, we transform them by the renewing of them to set our minds on the things that are God's interests. It's why we stress God's word so much here at Faith Church, because the world wants to conform us. The world will try to suck us away from thinking God's thoughts after him. So we must set our minds. We must renew our minds and align our thoughts with God. If we want to follow him, well, secondly, we need to redirect our walk. We can just kind of go along in life. We just need to redirect our walk. Make sure, as I say it in your outline, set our steps in submission to Jesus. That we say, the way that I'm walking, I'm going to walk in submission to the Lord Jesus. Look at verse 34 back in Mark chapter 8. Verse 34. And he summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now when a convicted criminal would uh, be sentenced to crucifixion, do you remember who he would follow? The the criminal would have to carry their cross and follow a Roman soldier. Now crucifixion in the first century, it, it was a long drawn out deal. I mean, it was a long, slow process to actually put the person on the cross, let alone have them hang there until they finally died. And so, the criminal would first of all have to take his cross and follow that Roman soldier all throughout the streets of wherever they were actually going to end up crucifying him. And, And the reason for this was that the criminal was to make a public statement. The public statement was, I was in rebellion against Rome, and now I'm forced into submission to Rome. And so everybody who saw that criminal carrying that cross got the message. That criminal had to submit to Rome to take up our cross and follow Jesus. It's to publicly say, I have committed myself to submit my life to Jesus. I'm committed to living in submission to him. And the biblical way to make this public how do we make it public biblically I mean we're not going to actually like carry a cross around how do we make it public the biblical way to make it public is through baptism baptism go with me over to Romans again Romans chapter 6 verse 1 Romans 6 verse 1 says what shall we say then are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase may it never be how shall we who died to sin still live in it and now here's critical the last two verses They're all critical, but let me zero in on these. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. You see the imagery here? baptism is saying when i go underneath the water i say i am dying to my old self i'm dying to the way that i'm going to walk my own life and i'm coming up out of the water to say i'm living in a newness of life i'm a new creature now and this new creature is following after jesus i am living in submission to jesus and i want you all to know i have decided to follow jesus there's no turning back there's no turning back as the song says This is what Jesus was talking about, I think, when he was talking about giving up our lives in submission to him, giving up our lives to serve him. Go back to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, verse 35. Notice what he says. He says, For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. You know, to lose our life is like a complete shift in our life. Like the formulas that we have put together to function in life get mixed up the framework by which we've built our life gets remodeled the very foundation that we've built our life on gets torn down and re-poured to to give our life to jesus to lose our life is a complete shift and here's the shift we no longer are our own we're his My uh, nephew, Cameron, is in the Army now. This past uh, April, he actually went into boot camp and uh, graduated from boot camp and everything. And uh, when he went into the Army, it was completely his choice. He wasn't drafted in the Army. Our Army and all of our military is a a volunteer force. But Cameron knew that once he was in the Army, the Army owned him. (laughs) And the Army owns him right now. His life is not his own. They're going to make him into a soldier. They've already made him into a soldier. And he lives right now to serve the United States of America as a soldier. When we go public with our submission to Jesus, we say, I'm living to serve him and his mission. The mission of our lives is his mission. And his mission is the mission of the gospel, which means we live to bring the good news of Jesus to our world around us. We live to tell people about how Jesus came to save them from their sin and to give them eternal life. We're no longer spectators that just kind of help out every so often, but we're all in. We're all in. As that little old song says, we're in the Lord's army. (laughs) We're here to serve him. Well, When we get baptized, what we're saying is, I'm no longer my own. I'm owned by Jesus. Now, let me just say something, and I want to say it gently and yet straightforwardly. Um, and this comes from a guy who uh, was baptized in the Lutheran church as a little baby. I, I want to say that uh, baptism of infants is a Christian tradition, and yet, as I uh, have studied the scriptures, I am 100% convinced. That baptism is actually something that believers do to proclaim that they are in submission to Jesus. Baptism is to tell people publicly that you've committed your life to him. Even if you were baptized as a baby, like Peter said to the first Christians, I'm saying to you, to show the world publicly that you are in submission to Jesus, we turn away from our old life, we turn to a new life of serving him, and the way that we make that public is we proclaim it by being baptized. And as you are baptized, as I've witnessed baptisms, I have, uh, it, it has been an incredible experience to hear how God gets a hold of a person's life and how they want to tell everybody that they've decided to follow him. As I was preparing this message, I immediately thought, well, we have to set a time for people to respond to this, and so we've set aside October 21st as Baptism Sunday. That's just a few weeks from now, but if you uh, want to follow Jesus and obey his command to believe and be baptized, tell the world that you have set your steps in submission to him then I would suggest you sign up at the welcome desk. I made a sign-up sheet out there so that we can connect with you and talk about the logistics and help you understand um, what it means to make your faith public. And by the way, if October 21st doesn't work for you, but it's going to be a cool day, I mean, it's going to be awesome, but if that doesn't work for you, no problem, still sign up, and we'll make arrangements because this is that important. It is important if we are followers of Jesus to make it public And Jesus says the way you do that is through baptism. Well, to follow Jesus, we reprogram our minds, we redirect our walk, and finally we refocus our goals. What are your goals in life? What are are some of those things that you want to make sure you accomplish in life? Well, if we refocus our goals, we set our souls on eternity. That our goals from the depths of our souls are all about god's eternity and that's what we commit ourselves to back in mark chapter 8 verse 36 for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul for what will a man give in exchange for his soul for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation the son of man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels pretty impressive pretty straightforward we need to just walk upright for Jesus, knowing that there's coming an eternity when we'll be with him in glory. You know, always, always, when uh, we got dropped off and we would start hiking through those woods with all those boys, every single trip we took with, those boys, with the different groups of boys that summer, um, it was amazing how that first night was the scariest night of their lives. And these are kids that grew up in really scary situations, but man, once night started to fall and the coyotes started yipping and the owls starting, started hooing and the whippoorwills started whippoorwilling <laughs> and uh, the silence of the night fell upon them, they literally thought that we as their leaders brought them out there to scare them to death. They thought they weren't going to make it through the night. I mean, they had their doubts about their leaders, their counselors. We, they didn't realize that we had their very best interest in mind. They just didn't see it. But by the end of those 14 days, those boys were changed. By the end of that, those 14 days, those boys had our, they completely trusted us. We were able to lead them to a place where they, maybe for the first time in their lives, had hope for their future. They graduated the program knowing that their future was bright, that they would not only survive, but maybe even thrive in life. Bottom line, they knew they were okay, and it was going to be okay. For some of us here, the idea of denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following Jesus as your leader... No doubt you wonder, I don't know if I can trust him. (laughs) Not sure that he actually has my best interest in mind. But on the authority of God's word and on the authority of God himself, here's the reality. There's coming a glorious day, a bright day in the future. And to get ready for that day, Jesus is calling us to follow him as our leader, to follow him as a prophet, as a king, as a priest. To follow him, the one whose name is Jesus. Would you come along with me as we follow our Savior? Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you that you don't leave us here to kind of figure it out all on our own, to call us to a life of disciple, discipleship, a life where we are all in, a life where we say, yeah, Lord, I'm going to set my steps in submission to you. Thank you, Lord, that you call us to a life where we say, Yeah. I'm no longer going to live for my interests. I'm going to live for your interests, God. We set it up, Lord. Or We say, listen, Lord, I've been thinking about my own life and just kind of living my own life, but now I'm going to live for you. I'm going to set my goals and my very soul on the things that matter for eternity. Lord, you want this to be our lifestyle. You call us to this, not just as something that we do on the side or every so often. You call us to do it as an actual lifestyle. So, as a declaration, you can lift up your heads and eyes. And If that is your declaration, I'd love for you to just sing with the worship team here. A song that many of you know. If you don't know it, you can just listen in. But it's a declaration that we can make together where we say, Lord Jesus, I have decided to follow you.